Welcome to Magic the Flavoring, the Magic the Gathering podcast, where we talk about all things magic, flavor design, and lore. I'm your host, Andy Mann. Hello, this is Nathan Cancel. And we are doing our very first in-person record in like... A year? A, over a year. Over a year? I think it was, nice. what was it, episode 27 uh-huh. was the last one. And we're in, what, 100 and... Th- what, what are we on now? 100... 118, Yeah, so nearly a, a whole hundred episodes in between our personal connection. Yeah. Hi, buddy. Hello, buddy. <laughs> this is going to feel like so much more succinct as well. Like, I, I feel like our remote recording... Is it? I, I don't, it should do. Look, what was your... Go on, uh, what I'm going to do, I can already see the levels. So, firstly, right, I'm so sorry if this audio is going to sound like garbage, because <laughs> not only is this the first audio record that we've done in person with one mic, and I'm actually going to move this mic closer to you, as is... Was the usual way because oh, you're just... you're really loud and I'm really quiet. Well, yeah, you're just a lot more softly spoken than I am. Although when you're recording in your place, I have you peak higher than I do, but your general is slightly lower. It's slightly lower. Yeah. Um, whereas I'm just this big wall of wah. I'll um... try not bark laughs into the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so not only are we doing this, uh, oh, this is going to be a nightmare for me to edit. I can just tell. Um, but also, uh, we're recording on my boat. On my narrow boat. We're on water. We're on water. So if there are any sounds of moorhens or indeed people, because we're directly next to the towpath, it's like at the level of our heads because the towpath's higher than the canal. Um, That's why. We are going to be recording in different spaces uh, and we'll kind of tell you where we are every time we're in a a new space. But yeah, for for now, we're, we're on a boat. So yeah, new new year, new, new uh, boat, new boat. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you think this is going to be more succinct, do you? I, I think so. I mean, I've looked forward to it ever since we because we tried to like peek behind the curtain. We tried to do this about a week ago, and, and the and the episode we're going to be doing, we'll talk about in a second. We're going to preamble probably for another ten minutes. Mm. Um, but we wanted to get this done ahead of ahead of the new year, or at least just directly afterwards. And we tried to fumble together, and it turned out being remote actually has some significant problems. My internet absolutely crapped out yeah and just sometimes yeah and sometimes just trying to get two different like um again like trying to do two remote recordings and having them sync up just sometimes doesn't quite work like i've in the past we've had like sets like breaks of five of five even like a second break sometimes can like really ruin the flow whereas when you're in person i think like it's a little harder for us to interrupt each other it's a little easier to kind of go off cues of each other i also don't have to tab between looking at your face and looking at my notes yeah i mean that's true i i think I'm used to having to, so I edit these, if mm. people didn't know. Um, you know, obviously. <laughs> these people might not know. I edit them. And uh, not having two separate audio tracks that I can chop and change. The amount of times that I, like, silence you or I and then overlap, like, some audio to make sort of... So you'll say something really pithy, but I'll be going, <laughs> fucking <laughs> but uh, planeswalkers suck, or something over the top of it. And your really eloquent line just gets lost in my gubbins, so I will silence me. And then sure. it just seems like, ah, oh, Nathan's made this really pithy point, and Andy reverently listened. Whereas in actuality, that's not the case. You know, you know things get edited, right? Whereas with this, I think... There, I will backtrack twice, but I think when it's in person, there's less opportunity for that to happen. Now, mm. the backtracks are... This is, I don't know why this is turning into an editing podcast. Like, it's good, it's nice. The ba- the, what I will backtrack is, is A, I think we'll probably be better at talking. Because mm. when we first did this, even for the first 40 episodes or so, we were either so keen to get our words out, or we just, you know, I don't know, we were probably not the most practiced at it, which we weren't. And secondly... Um, I give a lot less of a crap about the audio quality. <laughs> because when lockdown hit, so we started this podcast before lockdown, 
weirdly, even though it seems like we started in lockdown, but we actually started it before. And so obviously any podcasts that were out there were either super on a shoestring budget, like ours was, or incredibly professional mm. because they were in studios and they had like professional editors and all this kind of stuff. And even some of the big magic, magic podcasts would have like, they hired studio space. If you look at like Good Luck High Five, mm. like they have their own studio. Like, do you know what I mean? With two mics and the command zone and all that kind of stuff. So that was our benchmark to hit. And then when COVID hit, and everyone's in lockdown. Not only did some of those really big podcasts go into like hiding and like record remotely, but everyone else who was starting immediately had to record remotely, mm-hmm. and no one knew how to do that properly. Yeah, and it's everyone trying to find that 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 comfort. Yeah, uh, that comfort of professionalism. Essentially, it's like uh, streaming, right? Like you can see that when uh, Twitch streamers finally go from like the couple of couple of dozen viewers to like a couple of hundred, and they can finally afford to set up their space effectively. Mm. Um, yeah, it's all about kind of like finding. Finding feet. And it's kind of weird doing this again because I feel like we got to a point of comfort and, and normality doing it remotely and having our own individual mm. setups, you know. Um, so it's going to be interesting kind of getting back to yeah. what's the what's the original setup. Relearning, relearning. And, like, different issues. Like, so we were using Zencaster and big ups to Zencaster. I know a couple of different podcasts use them. Um, and they really did save a lot of our skins because we didn't. We tried doing Zoom and it just didn't quite work. And then we landed on Zencaster as our kind of good flow. Um but that has its own problems, like we're downloading different file types, and there's like last week, I mean, to be fair, last week was the first time that ever happened. The internet crapped out on my end, so things couldn't happen. But this is different things like, what if I just accidentally stop recording? Like, and then that's the whole <laughs> one track gone. Or like, what if I, like, what if it just doesn't save properly or some mm-hmm. shit? I don't know. Like, we're using my boat batteries. Again, we're on my narrow boat my home that is running off of batteries that runs off the engine. I've got 12.2 volts coming through the uh, Synwave, which is using an inverter to power my 240 volt laptop. So we'll see. We'll see. If, if we hadn't got cutting out halfway through, then you uh, you understand why. Mm. <laughs> anyway. But, but, right, what are we here to talk about? What are we here to talk about? 2022, baby! Exactly. We're only two weeks late. Yeah, well, again, for, <laughs> cir- for circumstances notwithstanding, I think we were going to be a touch late regardless. Um, and it's kind of interesting because we had like a, um, a setup to do a, a year in review episode and then also do a looking to the year ahead. But mm. as is the way with Watsi, they've bungled their uh, spoiler season by accidentally leaking their entire... March of Machines Reshi and it's a Dominaria remastered pack. So everybody knows half the set now. So it's, it's a lot harder to be like, oh, I wonder what, what I wonder what's happening now with this yeah. character. And it's like, oh, well, we already know. There's, there's no speculation anymore. It's now confirmation. Um, so we're going to probably worry about that next week because we're hitting we're hitting story as well this week. So we'll probably have a better, a more grounded and less speculative uh, perspective on um, what's happening with Phyrexia um, from, from, from in next episode. Whereas we still need to kind of talk about last year. Yeah. And all of the shit that happened. It was a big year. It was a huge year. And I said, I remember saying this, and there's going to be a few times today where I'm going to be like, oh, we, I said this last time. And this is because we got about a third of the way through the episode before we realised we couldn't continue. Oh, man. So a few bits a few bits are going to be retreads, a few bits are going to be refumbles. But um, we, I remember thinking, and even now, like, I had to recheck, I nearly missed Nuka Penna when I was kind of looking back at what sets actually came out this Did year. Did you? Yeah, of all of the ones, for some reason, I couldn't think I couldn't think of the one that came between 
Kamigawa and um, Dominaria United, just uh, just off the top of my head in the moment. And I don't know why, because I really like Nuka Penna. Everyone likes Nuka But Penna. I feel like, and I think, I feel like this is the problem in general. I feel like the first set of the year has a bit of time to breathe and everything else has been kind of a little bit condensed. Mm. And I feel like this is probably eponymous of the whole releasing too much product, jumping set by set to different planes and different storylines. Um, and in retrospect, I think it worked. And I'll talk about that towards the end when we kind of look at Phyrexia and, and the build up to it. But... Each set kind of has that, that flash in the pan moment. And I feel like Nuka Penna, because we did Kamigara such as crazy reinvention, and then we went back to Dominaria and it had this return of the Phyrexians. You have these two kind of reinventions and tucked in the middle, there's this this new place, this Art Deco plane. And I don't know why, for me, it just I guess it just didn't quite hold and resonate as much. But then again, looking back at it, I still think it was a fantastic set so that's so interesting and, um, I don't, of all of them i don't know why i don't know why, I don't because, know why all right okay well let's say what let's let's kick off the year let's start where we started the year which was still in innistrad technically yeah the double feature double feature mm. we, do we need to talk about that black and white no it's all right yeah I, <laughs> some of the cards look cool in black and white mm-hmm. most of them look really dull i can't it is really it was really odd just even for a product release schedule in terms of just your mind's eye of looking at different years, it's a really odd thing, and I know it's because it was hit with budget uh, with um like transport issues. A lot of these release dates weren't the original release dates, and I can't remember if that was the same for double feature. Mm. But from like an optics point of view, and even looking at it from a flavor point of view, again we're we're a flavor podcast to end to end a year on a plane, and then to start the next year. And I know time's arbitrary, but to start the next year still on the plane, but not really. Yeah. To re- kind of weird. To retread in a really wishy-washy way. I think this is the thing the biggest complaint people had about uh, Double Feature was that it was supposed to be a cultivated list of cards that got a new treatment and it kind of felt like a cop-out because I thought it's a similar thing to some of the artist um, sketch versions, right? Of where... What, what set was did we get that for? The Modern Horizons? Yeah, it? Modern yeah. Horizons 2. Exactly. So a, a lot of them were cool because it was like, oh, you get to see a work in progress. But for some of them, it just kind of felt like similar to the doodle secret layers. As much as these kids and their drawings are cute and lovely and everything, it does feel a little bit like a cop-out to put a, 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 a not complete drawing on a card that is going to cost essentially the same as the version that has a complete mm. finished product on mm. it. And then so again, you're saying you hate children, is that what you're saying? Not in so many words. <laughs> I hate children. In, <laughs> I hate children in my magic game. This is a game for adults and for intelligent beings. Well, to be fair, like I have, I've crater hoof people with the doodle version of it a couple of times since because I, I didn't want to get a crater hoof because it felt like a cheat, a cheat, a cop out. But then we did some trades for Command Fest Birmingham and and I, I happened to get the doodle, the doodle version. And there's nothing better than doodling out your opponents. So yeah. you know, there, there is there is a little love in my heart for for the, for the um for the style. But I just feel like as a set. Double, double feature just didn't deliver what it promised to be and then again the issues of getting hold of it and then as much, I actually think the board is really really cool like mm. I've got a couple of double feature cards and I do think it looks really cool I just think they just didn't quite put enough care and attention for something that's supposed to be like what maybe a celebration of the two sets together yeah. like it just felt like a, a wishy-washy epilogue yeah so. yeah I, I kind of like the idea of them doing like real world pastiches on cards in that way because they're meant to look like old hammer horror like films, right? They're all yeah. kind of black and white style, which is a kind of really weird meta thing when you think about it, because they're not. They have done obviously like photorealistic or nearing, well, I suppose fantasy realist uh, paintings of say like Bram Stoker's Dracula mm-hmm. for Crimson Vow and whatnot, but to have an actual like movie 
gloss on these things outside of a secret lair is kind of an interesting idea. It's just it, the product itself was a flop. So yeah. there we go. That was double feature. But then we get to our first set proper. Mm. And like, if last, if I think of 2021, because I was trying to compare the two years, and I think we were quite up on 2021 because you things had, had things like Kaldheim mm, and Strixhaven. Strixhaven and all that mm. kind of stuff. And I think most people were like, all the sets, and then we ended up in a, in a strad. All the sets, like in the kind of general consensus, obviously people are going to hate on them and like and or really love them either in the scale. But most people, I think, were like twenty twenty one was pretty good. Mm. It was like it was everything was like doing what it said it needed to do. Whereas twenty twenty two, if we're looking at the, the first main set of the year and then as we go on, is a year of huge surprises. As like, oh my god, I can't believe how amazing this was, mm. and massive letdowns. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think New, uh, Neon Dynasty falls heavily into the massive surprises, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I've written here very, very clearly. It was a very well done return to what was considered to be an impossible to return to plane. Like people said that. I mean, there was. A, it was. I don't know what the. Um, oh, what's it called? The Rabia scale. I don't know where Kamigawa felt on the Rabia scale beforehand, which is the likelihood of returning to said plane in the same way that the Venza scale is the likelihood of seeing this character on a Planeswalker card. You know, it's the one of Mary's things of of, of telling um, the Magic community, right? You've got all of these things of is it coming back? Is it not coming back? Let me at least give you a scale out of ten of whether it's going to happen or not. Yeah. And Kamigawa was very low. Um, it's historically been known to be a. Um, from a mechanical point of view, a parasitic um, block. You know, a lot of the um, uh, mechanics and everything were either underpowered or fed back into each other in a way that didn't allow it to um, interact with the other sets around it. Um, it had some very, very, very strong outliers, things like Umazawa Jite, for example, that were just broken. Um, and then I just, I think the... I, again, I, I've, we've talked about this before, but... I had such a love for the original Kamigawa. I didn't really understand why people weren't excited to go back. And mm. I'm so glad they did because I don't know a single person that wasn't happy with how they managed to hold on to the old school, but then also inject this massive new wave of of, of techno punk, cyberpunk kind of quality yeah. to it and make it work. Yeah. And that was the thing that was surprising, I think, to a lot of people for Kamigawa is that they made it work. Yeah. I mean, the the whole year... And this is something that we can look back on and now I think to jump to the end of this podcast to say there's something they definitely hit. We were saying this time last year that all these sets were going to be like, okay, we're going to bring technology into magic. This is going to be magic's sort of big mech tech year, right? Mm. With all the sets that are coming through, there's an element of that. And now looking back on it, people were the only naysayers about Kamigawa were, I don't want to have sci-fi cyberpunk in my fantasy game, right? Mm -hmm. Even though as we've discussed many times, all of Magic's original Dominaria story was based on the idea of ancient magic technology, but whatever. Mm. Um, but this was this was like hard sci-fi, and we've said it when we, we spoke about Kamigawa before. But looking back on it, has it ruined the aesthetic of the game, even like a little bit? No. No, not for no. me, not for you. I don't think for many people. Like, it's rad. It's yeah. so cool, because they did it well. They still have... You have your, like, shamans, and you have your magic users, and you have all your, like, races of uh, of, of creature type that, you know, can still be magic-y, mm. but now they're riding a cool fucking hoverbike. Yeah, <laughs> like, now it's Biker Mice from Mars. Yeah, you know. who doesn't want Biker Mice from Mars? Exactly. I was, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I want to build a Grease Fang deck. I don't know what's holding me back, but mm. um, fear. Um... Yeah, I feel like a thousand years ish, give or take, which is kind of what they had to jump up to keep it to story relevance. I think it's a realistic um, 
twist. I mean, I don't I say twist. I think it's a realistic development for a plane to have that kind of technological advancement. Like if you look at, say, imagine if we'd done Kalajesh a thousand years in the past. Well, this is it. What's the next set that's going to get a past? Yeah, exactly. Do we see a throwback to, like, say, the Blood Age in, in Strixhaven oh, or something oh, like that? You know, I want it so much. So I think that reversion is really, really cool. I think doing a jump ahead is probably risque. And it's funny because I only just found out a couple of days ago that Bruderclad is apparently was apparently sent is it from Dominaria? Yeah. And was sent back from a potential future of Dominaria. Yeah. Which could have been, you know, the Dominaria where the Frexians have taken Frexians. over. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I didn't realise this. For oh, some reason I thought yeah, it was yeah, actually yeah. just a, yeah, that I was thought like it was a, from Mirrodin. Like a little pseudo uh, yeah, future site. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, Precisely, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, uh, and I was like, oh, okay, so that's interesting. So I don't know if it's something they'll properly look into in the future. And this was the only set they could really do it with, because it was the only set that originally was set in the past. Mm. So I don't know if there's any other sets they can do that with, and considering we've already had, and we'll get to it soon, like Nuka Penna, and if we do ever get to, like, say, a cowboy world, then maybe we'll have some more um, futuristic kind of qualities or or modern-day technology effects in. Also, we can still go back to places like, you know, Ravnica or even Kaladesh, which has that kind of steampunk kind of feel. Like, I don't think that there's many other planes that will have that jump, but it's nice to know that Kamigo is still available to go back to. Mm. Um, and I feel like they'll be way more comfortable to do that again. I mean, Cyberpunk, was it 2029 or whatever, what is it that came out recently? The, 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 form, uh, the Netflix show. The anime. Yeah. Yeah, Edge Runners. Edge Runners, that was it, exactly. And that is... That's hugely popular, and I guess maybe it was really good. It yeah, was really, it was good really good anime, good. and it was going to be standalone. They're not doing a sequel, mm-hmm. and it has almost the same, almost the exact same feel of art style as well that some of the Kamigawa uh, cards had. Um, and I think from a story relevance point of view, it didn't feel out of sync with everything else that happened this year. Like I think it's something again that we should talk about at the end is like how did all of the sets and the story as a, as a grand arc, even though they're not doing grand arcs anymore, how did it all all the story beats kind of fit in together? Um, a Ninja Planeswalker. We got a Ninja Planeswalker. Yeah, love it. Delivery of the Wanderer actually being the Emperor. That was great. Oh, I didn't mind that at all. That was fantastic. We actually got to see like the interactions of like Kami like Kyodai. We got to see what what Jin was up to. I think I think as a set, I don't know how it couldn't have delivered more. Um, I think its showcases mm. were phenomenal. We've got anime back, like I say, back. We've got anime in the game, and it's probably not going anywhere. Yeah. Even most recently with Jumpstart, we've had a few uh, different anime artworks and stuff. So I feel like. Um, yeah, you, for something that could have been super, super polarizing, I feel like they ticked enough boxes on both sides of the argument that neither neither group were unhappy. The group that wanted to see old school Kamigawa because they still got some of that, and then those that wanted to see a reinvention, um, and those for those that even just love cyberpunk, I feel like it yeah. ticked it ticked all of the boxes super, super well. I don't know anyone that really had any grumbles about no. it. It also shows that they figured out how to introduce these high concept sets like a lot better. Um, with the lead-in of the Vorfo stuff. I think 2023 was a massive year for like stoking the fires that 2021 uh, created of people liking Vorfo stuff without necessarily calling themselves Vorfos, like mm-hmm. without even necessarily caring too much about it. Obviously, the whole reason anyone plays this game, I think this is something we said in our very first episode, this is what we touched on, is that <laughs> if people didn't care about what people consider Vortho stuff, like the art and the lore and the fantasy setting and all this kind of stuff, they wouldn't be playing this game mm. at all. They'd just be writing numbers on a bit of cardboard. They'd be playing like poker or something, yeah. do you know what I mean? Even the spikes, I don't, I don't feel like nowadays, with organised play being slightly less of a focus, I feel like that's that the spike demographic is slightly diminished. And I feel like the longer you play the game for, the more you're going to find that plane that sings to your soul. Yeah. And the more styles that Magic tries to incorporate, the more likely you are to get that one plane. Like, 
this year, for example, we've had um, I've seen people that are very poo-poo about most things, and then the Transformers cards came out, and they're like, "Oh my god! Like this is exactly what I've always wanted. This yeah. is my favorite thing ever." And yeah. then suddenly they they collect all of the Transformers cards, yeah. even though every, almost everyone else in the game is going, "Why are there Transformers? Yeah, why are there Transformers? Why are there Transformers in our game?" But it just showed that they can roll this thing out because they did like the they did the online manga, they did the several different styles of trailer. Yes. They released the story before the cards came out, which is now like a really good. Like that, because we forget that's not how they've always done things. <laughs> They'll go, here's the set, and then we're going to do the story over the next three or four weeks. And you're yeah. like, well, I know so and so dies. The story spotlight card got leaked. Yeah. Now you know. Now you know. Ugin, um, what's his um, uh, Niv Mizzet gets re- gets yeah. reborn, and we didn't even know he was dead yet. Yeah, it's exactly. like great, fantastic. Stuff like that. So it shows that they can do it, and mm. that there are people in the company who really do care. Mm. And they can't do it for every set. God, could you imagine the amount of money and prep that went in for a bunch of that stuff? Yeah, sure. But, you know, they brought in, like, those extra cultural consultants to address a lot of the issues they've had in past sets and, like, most of Magic, to be honest. And, indeed, Wizards of the Coast at large, I think, are are trying to really tighten that up because there was a whole thing with Spelljammer, their um, D&D in space module, where they had a couple of issues with some mm. of the, the classes and, and races. Even the term using the term race is something that they're looking at as well um, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. It's it's definitely cool. Anyway, <laughs> we already did a Kamigawa podcast. Let's talk about Capenna. Yeah, yeah. So from one well delivered, um, this is it's good that you kind of like sat, sat on the back of that saying the uh, the trailer and everything. Now, New Capenna also had a fantastic uh, intro and delivery um, in terms of its trailer. This tra- I think its trailer was good. It wasn't as good as the Kamigawa one. I mean, I th- obviously that's a point of uh, of opinion, but I feel like they it didn't have the same. I don't want to say delivery, but there was an album that came out with the uh, with New Capenna. And the album, as far as I can tell, um, is is probably one of the best received com- out of out of the ones that have all been done yeah. so far. They did because they did music for Kamiga and Cal- and Cal- 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 What was exactly. the trailer for Capenna? Oh my gosh, um, remind me! It's the uh, one where they're talking. It's it's the um, Art Deco effects of all of the different uh, demon um, heads of the houses. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's it's a bit more vague than mm. the Kamigawa one because that was very much closely uh, following Kaito and uh, the Wanderer. Um, so it was a little bit more generic, um, but it was the one that had all the coins at the end that kind of fell down, yeah, sure, like sure. you know, and, fa- and do it for your family, or uh, it's 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 all in, all about the family. It made it feel very much like a mafia, a mafia boss kind mm. of of intro, um, which I thought was really really cool. And then we've also now for the first time um, properly touched on a time of life that people playing this game could potentially have been at least aware of, even if they didn't live in it themselves. Yeah, the, the kind of hangover from the 20s and 30s are definitely felt by some of the older generations. Sure. Exactly. If you've And if you're like, you know, 60 plus playing this game, there's definitely going to be a feeling of like, oh my God, I remember this, either the style of the, the music, even maybe the style of certain cars, um, especially like building architecture. Um, it's also the first time we've really closely followed like a specific uh, modern uh, culture being, you know, America. Um, and you've already done um, a nice in-depth um, kind of episodes, like looking at Nuka Penna and its um, and, and and how it, it reflects on that specific time of culture. Yeah, the kind of like immigration story of America. Yeah, it was Michelle Rapp came on on board for that, who's obviously massively um, sort of authoritative, I think, on having that voice in MTG. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was a real bold swing. It was mm. a real bold swing for those kinds of themes and for the themes of technology. Mm. Um, I mean, but again, it hasn't ruined anything no. having. Runaway Limousine or whatever the fuck it was called. I can't mm. remember. <laughs> it was one of Sheldon Menry's flavor picks. Um, the limousine card. Like, that. I don't care. Mm. I don't mind seeing that on a magic card. Mm-hmm. 
Like, if you can see a mech... I mean, again, we didn't really talk about this necessarily, but, like, if you can have Evangelion, like, body mechs in Kamigawa, yeah, yeah, yeah. how can you not be okay with a car? Yeah, or a train. <laughs> Just because the car makes it look like, oh, but I can I can relate to that more. It's like, sure, but, like, I don't understand how, yeah, like, a, a body mech is, 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 less, is less egregious than, the, than regular technology, considering some of the things we've seen in Magic already. Yeah. Um, and I think we didn't say... We didn't mention it necessarily um, coming out of uh, Kamigawa, but the... the the attention they've paid towards like not being culturally insensitive um, is a really important swing, especially the, the more they try and focus on things that people can have direct relation mm. to. Like, it's easy to be messy with Dominaria because it's not a real place and it can have various different inspirations of culture mm. Mm. without feeling like you're actually doing an homage or a pastiche of it to the point of where you have to really hold true to uh, the fundamentals yeah. I mean, of it. Dominaria is like... Is basically Earth. It's like fantasy. Earth. Yeah, they have different free. Yeah, yeah you could, I mean, I guess you have to be careful. Like, if you're talking about like the Falaji, are you specifically talking about Arab culture, or are you trying to have a homage that you can be like flexible around? Where are you sure, taking yeah. dress sense from? That kind of thing. Um, finger gun magic is in the game now, man. <laughs> and again, I don't hate it, and I don't know many people that did. Like, there was very. It didn't feel yeah, like. It didn't feel too silly. After scroll, mi- scroll mini gun yeah. in Strixhaven. Well, do you know what I was thinking? I mean, this is like maybe slightly juvenile, but could you imagine a bunch of like Strixhaven teenagers finger finger gunning each other? <laughs> you really say finger banging? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly oh, what I'm thinking. Dear. Oh, dear. Hey, pew, pew, hey, pew, pew. I was sixteen once. Oh, That's I just like the idea that there's just these people that pew pew each other from around the corner. Um, well, isn't they have those dueling, those keen duelists? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, again, um, Streets of Ukraine. I feel like again the Art Deco style they did, especially with the um, showcases, the lands, especially, yeah, um, were phenomenal. I feel like this is the year. I, I don't know. I don't, probably looking back at twenty twenty two as well. Um, no, twenty twenty one. Sorry, the lands also game was really, really, really high. But looking at the lands game for this year, they've kind of gone a bit bit cray cray because I think the Kamigawa lands might be my favourite ever like the the, 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 the full art yeah and then but I know people that absolutely adore the Nuka Pena ones especially like for me that mountain that symmetrical mountain yeah. effect I think is stunning yeah um, I, again I really like I really like the border effect for, and the showcasing for, for Nuka yeah, Pena yeah the, the art deco really sold itself really well um, I think story wise I think it was really good as well I think yeah. again it, it, we got to see Elspeth back they did, a, they did a good job of not ma- mangling her character as well, which they very easily could have, because we've not seen her for a while. We've not heard her voice for a while. You can feel a bit out of touch. And I know that she's like a fan favourite to a lot of people, but there hasn't been a lot of relevance since, you know, she got douched over by Heliod and then had to come back through um, I mean, Theros. So it's nice to see her back and in the thick of... It's nice to see the, the different disparate parts of the multiverse and the characters that we love all kind of slowly amalgamating together. Can you... I wouldn't have thought in a random Art Deco American-style set we were going to see Tezzeret, Vivian, Elspeth, and Urabrask. Mm. Well, do you know, it's a little bit like with Ravnica when you start seeing... Because Ravnica is sort of a keystone for a lot of different planeswalkers, whether they're from there or not. <clears throat> and it's... um. It's always interesting to see sort of like the Ravnikun versions of some of those characters coming in. Like Jace is not from Ravnica, but he mm. considers Ravnica his home, so he has a kind of different swagger when he's there. Or like uh, another example might be Gideon when he was on Amonkhet. Yeah, it was kind of like Amonkhet Gideon, where he had like slightly different clothes, but they were like still similar to his Theros gear, but they mm. were you know like sort of slightly more. He like, felt very at home. He, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it is. It is really interesting to see them their dress sense change up like dr- dramatic. Drastically, yeah. Oh god, yeah. Dramas- drastically, the flapper dress. Oh god, yeah. The Elspeth's flapper dress, and then Vivian's like detective gear, which mm-hmm. really cool. The prop. So the thing I had with the Capenna story 
is that if Kamigawa had like a really nice big long lead up and build up and we had like a really clean, clear story of what the hell was going on in both the main and the side stories, I think Capenna and a few of the sets this year did suffer slightly from having the main stories to me seemed like the more boots on the ground, like just day in the life of a planeswalker navigating the plane. Mm. So we had Elizabeth and uh, Giada. Jihada? Giada, Giada, mm. uh, and their storyline with the with all the different heads of state and the the Halo. <laughs> Do you remember when everyone lost their shit over Halo being either potential drugs yeah, slash alcohol? Um, it was like, oh, you can't promote drugs and stuff, and it? it's like it's, it's like <laughs> no spice in Star Wars. Exactly, yeah, get no over one cares. it. Um, that was like <laughs> that immediately as soon as the set came out, people just went, oh yeah, it's a card game. <laughs> that was a real like disappear. Anyway, so uh, and then the side stories had like real story relevant stuff, like Vivian and Ourobrat, mm. and this happened again in um, Dominaria United, as we'll see. And I don't know. How I feel about it, and I also didn't love the way they handled the angels. Like the idea that the angels did come back—that mm. was the point at the end of the story. That wasn't clear in the story, but then you had angel cards in the set. I don't know. There was a little bit of a disparance there of what was going on. I felt it felt like a choreo where is Luca the Luca on the cards or is Luca the Luca on the in the story? Yeah. Because the story spotlight cards and everything that happened made him come across as a way as as a much more uh, relatable character and, and the, his rea- his interactions with his flappy cat dinosaur thing were much <laughs> more positive yeah, yeah. Um, than they were given over in the story. So there was this kind of weird dissonance of where you have a, two different representations of the character depending on what part of the law you're invested yeah. in. Is Yosemite blue or is it orange? Exactly. <laughs> and it kind of felt the same with Nuka Penna of where, yeah, there was this the story they 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 released on the cards it was almost like almost like an epilogue to the story because you got five episodes of the angels being gone and then you get to the set and there's a bunch of angels and everyone's like well where did the angels come from and yeah. they always had to go yeah so once Giada like you know sacrificed herself ish like and maybe she still exists in, in an avatar form or whatever all of the angels came back it's like but then why wouldn't you write that in any part of the, the what happened with Nuka Penna is it felt like it was four and a half stories and then they just missed the second half of, of episode f- of five. Yeah. You know? And they just didn't give, like, we didn't get any real combination to what was happening with Urobras. We didn't get any combination to what was going to be happening with any of the characters moving forward. Yeah. And the angels basically never showed up again. Yeah. So almost like it, they had a, they, the delivery leading up to the climax was pretty good. You know, I liked the way they handled Xander. Xander's now a fan, was a fan favorite through the story, you know, taken too soon. Um, even Obnixilis, as much as he was very much mush, m- mustache twirling here, flashing a pan. Oh, I like that. Yeah, though. no, I, again, some characters need to be like this. Not everyone needs to have some grand uh, overarching scheme or some other peop- um, other um, planeswalkers like Ashok. You only want to see little tidbits off to have this feeling of they've got these bigger um, bigger plans going on in the background. But I like that Obnixilis was just the, the stand-in typical bad guy mm. you know and he gets a little bit douche and he goes well drat Elspeth, i'll see you next time and you know and, and then and then bounces out again which yeah. i think worked especially when we've got this underlying why is your breast there that why is there this tiny little bubble and because that's the thing right the city's a bubble and we haven't even seen the rest of the plane it's very similar to uh to kaladesh where we only really saw one city we didn't see the outlying uh, continents also similar to say ixalan we've only seen half of the world same with Strixhaven, we've only seen one tiny part of um, our, our, our KVOS. Like, it, I'm interested to see what more they will do with Nuka Penna, because this felt like a very uh, focused set based on Elspeth. Yeah. This was an Elspeth set, um, and maybe we'll go back and we'll see what happens beyond that. Um, and maybe that's maybe, maybe that's why it kind of slipped from my memory a little bit, because it felt more like it was a, necess- a necessary stepping stone for the year's worth of, of story progression. Um, but 
and, and maybe the actual set itself didn't have as much gravity in this, and the plane as a whole didn't get enough of a representation. Mm. And I think the problem with that is the more you dig into Nuka Penna, the more interesting it gets. And it's a shame that a few of those notes weren't more propped up, you know, when, when, when the set was actually released. And again, when you're shifting through four different planes of, of, every year, it's kind of easy to go, cool, that's now done, on, on to the next yeah. one. You yeah. Know. I don't, yeah, I don't know if I felt it more this year or less than last year with the the one set thing. I suppose last year we did get Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt. So that did feel like a, a two set block, yeah. even though they weren't it wasn't really I mean I suppose it was I can't I don't know what they were there was a double release. Yeah, it? it was it was definitely an act one, act two, but it kind of felt like one play. Yeah. So it again you got to spend half a year sitting in Innistrad, kind of re, re, readjusting to it. And it meant that you had time that in the first set, if you didn't see this character that you really wanted to see, you're like, oh, well, we're definitely going to at least see him in the next set. Yeah. Whereas if you don't see certain people, I mean, maybe not for something like Nuka Penna because it's a new plane and we don't know, you know, we haven't, we, we're new to the flavor texts and things like that. This random, you know, character that might pop up, we don't have the, the urge to see yet. But for something like Kamigawa, if you didn't see a character that you expected to see, who knows when we're going to be next to Kamigawa and see it again. So you yeah. only got that one chance. So I feel like within Estrad, anything, it got to tick off a lot of the boxes and we got to actually sit in it long enough for people to be satisfied and go, cool, that's enough in Estrad. We can move on. Whereas I feel like Nuka Penna was the one set that was like, maybe we needed a bit more time. And maybe with this new format where they do this these epilogue sets, you know, how they're going to have um, uh, much, uh, not much machines, uh, the... Um, What's the aftermath set coming out after? Oh gosh! So we got what? Is it all the? Is it all we won aftermath? Yeah, I yeah. Think so yeah, yeah. So they're doing that little set. I think that's the kind of thing that would work quite nicely with a few sets, especially if we're or a few different planes. If we're not going to go back for a while, which we know obviously we're not going to do for a, probably at least two years, going back to New Capena because I don't know what the story relevance would be if the Frexian arc gets completed. Mm. Um, then again, it's like okay, well, I liked that. But I, I guess I'm going to wait for next time to see if I really liked it or if it yeah. was just, you know, a moment. Yeah, I mean, we're going back to, uh, is it Acoria? But right? we're going back to Acoria and Eldraine next Yeah, year. so both Acoria and Eldraine, and both of the sets there, I mean, especially Eldraine, didn't have huge things going on in the way of story no. relevance. So I, and, but they were obviously set up to be like, right, we want to kind of softball this plane in so that when we go back and we might have something more going on or use it as a palate cleanser. Mm. And I think Capeno is going to be one of those planes where it's not Ravnica. There's not going to have these huge story relevant things happening on, but it's going to be one of the planes they can kind of jam around with when they're not doing massive story arcs. Yeah, exactly. I feel like somewhere like Aldrain, it's interesting as well because it's, I feel like somewhere like Eldraine actually got a really, really good breadth shown of it where you got to see all of the five kingdoms and you got a little bit of the wilds, which is probably why then they go, oh, okay, let's go back and really explore the wilds. Yeah. Oh, is it Ixalan we're going back to as well next Ix- year? Exactly. Yeah, 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 we're not going to Akorio. Yeah, we're Ixalan. going to Ixalan. The lost, <laughs> yeah. the, lost cave, the lost cave or caverns of, of Ixalan, which yeah. again is interesting because we got to see the battle for the immortal sun but we didn't get to see maybe we didn't get to dig down in deep into all of these random tools yeah, and places yeah was like one exactly city, right? but yeah, we yeah. could have easily seen much more you know and it, there'll probably be less sea stuff i mean who knows who knows that's 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 for that's for next year to talk about uh okay guests next up is dominaria united it is yeah which actually i think did exactly opposite to what we i mean all of our <laughs> predictions yeah. and we've been predicting the Frexians being coming back for years and years and years i think it's interesting when we looked at this year um, when they did their, um, oh, what's it called? The, the, the showcase of where they go, these are all the sets for the next year. Yeah, sure. Um, I think when we looked at that, we went, well, guess that's another year of not going back to Phyrexia. And even though we did, I think we were right to speculate a little bit that we're probably going to be building up towards them fighting the Phyrexians in 
um, in Dominaria United and Brothers War, because why would they go back to a time of, of warring with the Phyrexians if it's not for eventually building up the Phyrexians? Yeah. Each set has had relevant story progression for the Phyrexians. So I don't think we were wrong so much in this was the year of Phyrexia, because in retrospect, I think it was the year of Phyrexia. It was just the year of Phyrexia coming. Yeah. Whereas next year, or at least the latter half of, um, or the beginning half of this year, it's going to be, Phyrexia is here and how are we going to deal with it and what's the culmination? Are they going to win? Are we going to be able to defeat them? What's the lasting ramifications, which apparently are going to be significant? Yeah, a lot of people are speculating no more planeswalkers. Exactly. Well, a lot of people are speculating that the uh, Realm Breaker um, is going to join everything as this kind of multiversal highway and you no longer have to have a spark to be able to trans tra- transport between. And then how is the clashing of that going to work? It's basically Shards of Alara. It's Conflux on a multiversal scale, yeah. which I think is actually super interesting. But yeah, Dominaria United, Zalfir hasn't come back yet. They they didn't really rally. I mean, actually, as I say, I think we, this I think was the biggest problem with Dominaria United was it's similar to Nuka Penna for a set that probably needed to have about a 10 episode arc of stories. Yeah. Which it did, if you think about the five uh, main stories and then the five side stories, mm-hmm. it needed a 10 story, for, for like a main story kind of arc to really kind of feel this, this impending progression of Sheldreds and her sleeper agents because that for me is pinnacle peak Phyrexian invasion feeling unnerved not knowing who to trust who's who's got your back and as much as the notes I think were, were ticked comfortably in the moment I feel like they weren't sat along sat on for long enough the 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 theories and the lead up to Dominaria United even just with the name and a couple of bits of artwork like you had that big Thran temporal... gateway thing yeah Everyone was going, right, so this is going to be the Phyrexians are going to be coming back, they're going to invade Dominaria, we're going to find out they've already invaded Dominaria, which kind of sort of came true. We have, like, you know, all the whole planes going to, like, mesh together, we're going to have Dominaria united with other planes, and blah, 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 all these different kind of, like, side theories. And it all seemed really grand. And then none of it happened. But the thing's what we got, we did get Phyrexian sleeper agents being revealed, we did get, you know, planeswalkers being killed. We had mm-hmm. planeswalkers being revealed as, sleep- as sleepers themselves. We had uh, Shieldred coming back. We had uh, what else? What else happened in that bloody set? Uh, well, we have uh, a million returning characters, including Urtai was back as well. Yeah, um, yeah, like Khan gets captured. Khan gets captured. But that's the thing is, it happened in the very first episode. I think one of the first revealed cards we saw for the set was Phyrexian Sleeper Agent, and at that point. Not really much of a sleeper agent if it's one of the first cards that you get to see yeah. from the set. So maybe at that point, maybe we, it, it was interesting that the first episode was Khan discovers Shieldred and discovers they've already been there for a while. Mm. But I don't feel that gravity of like, if they've been here for a while, how long have they been here for? And then we do like a jump of like two and a half months or something of when he gets uncovered. And obviously we as the audience, we know, fuck, the Phyrexians are here and they've been here a while and who knows what they're in, in, yeah. in, into. But we didn't really get that build up for ourselves. We just got told this and then have to experience it kind of separate to the characters mm. within the story. And if you're not following the same dread and fear and the same um, you know reveals that your characters are feeling, then it kind of has a bit of a dissonance because at that point you don't feel involved in the story. You just feel like you're kind of watching the pieces move whilst you already know the grand scheme in the background. Yeah. Which maybe created a little bit of separation. I do think... On an individual basis, the stories were phenomenal. We've talked I mean, the about we- the this. weather light also got completed as well. I think we kind of off screen it. Yeah, well, it-esque. unless you read a side story, but even then, it was it was screen. in between, and even then, it was between the sto- side stories. Storyline was yeah, it? no, at so the this- end of it, and then you get, yeah. you get it's, again. It just felt like it wasn't quite weaved together in a way that was one coherent story. I think, and this goes back to my having looking at the year as a whole. 
His Brothers War is also included in this year, so I think I can top and tail it with Kamigawa because we won't count double feature. Kamigawa and uh, Brothers War. Two sets that I think, this is me speculating, the Watsi team really cared about and mm. really wanted to make C work. I don't think anyone gave a shit about Dominaria United <laughs> outside yeah. of individual story beats. Because you look at even the lead up to it, there was very little lead up. The trailers were very nothing Ian came out kind of after the set. Yeah, Dominaria United trailers came out for Brothers War, even though it wasn't relevant to Brothers War, it was yeah. relevant to Dominaria United. And then you even look at like the key art, for example. Mm. The key art on the bundle is sometimes that kind of stuff for me is a dead giveaway. The key art for the bundle was Ajani on one side, because Ajani was one of the big characters. Mm. Who was on the other side of the box? Liliana. Liliana Vess. Why? In her old Liliana Vesky. I still Vesky. have no idea why she was on why this plane. Because and even, I think I tweeted out about it. Even her pose was like, oh, that's that's um, uh, what's the chops? Who died? Jaya. Jaya. Sorry, Grandma. Completely forgot you already. Um, Jaya died, and even like her pose on the key art box looked like Jaya doing fire magic. Because Liliana doesn't do like big swoopy light magic, does she? Mm. So why is that? I mean. It, you know, it's just... It was very misleading. Yeah. Yeah. And com- if you, again, if we compare it to the way that we led into Streets of Nukapena and the way we led into Kamigawa uh, Neon Dynasty, both of those sets had a really well-catered for and really well-crafted um, trailer season and build-up. And Dominaria United just as much... If, if, if all, of all the sets that needed a, this slow, menacing build-up, Dominaria United was the set. Yeah, and out of all of the three of them, it's the one that suffered the most for not seeming to have one. Yeah, which is really, really, really sad because if even if you look all the way back to um, Newphrexia, which at the time was Newphrexia slash Mirrored Impure, we didn't know that trailer where you have the Phyrexian language coming over the top. Yeah, yeah, was yeah. one of still considered to be one of the best trailers that you know Kate, that that happened before we had this nice resurgence after War of the Sparks trailer, and we've got a lot of very good trailers since, mm. but. It just didn't have that menacing quality. Again, I feel like episode one was stunning and phenomenal, but should have been about episode three, you know, three or four in in, in the in the arc. Um, and that was probably the only bit of like, oh god, oh god. And the rest of it is just, well, the Phyrexians are here. When are they going to find them? Yeah, you know, I bet you're a Phyrexian. I bet you're a Phyrexian. And like, even um, a lot of people had an issue with Sten, wasn't it? Like in his artwork, they showed his artwork very early on, and it was very clear in his artwork that you could see. He was a Phyrexian. I, I still like, made saying I didn't spot that. Even if you didn't necessarily, the problem is if is all it takes is one person on the internet to see it and then put it up into a Reddit post and then suddenly everyone's aware oh, of it. True. And yeah. then it undermines because it was in the very next episode that we find out about it. And it's kind of like, oh, what a shock. I mean, but again, I like that you say that you didn't realise. And again, you, you didn't do any um leakage um like I I, I always I stay do. off of Reddit, tend to, yeah. yeah. So this is the perspective we usually get is that I, I tend to go in balls deep because I don't give a shit. It's not that I don't give a shit, it's just I want to have the most amount of information possible. <laughs> yeah. And it gives me a bit more perspective to be able to speculate on the larger arcs if we have the small bits of information. Whereas I like that you kind of want to be blindsided and kind of see how it naturally hits in the way that they want yeah, it to yeah. without it being spoiled. And I feel like it was nice to see that Ajani was a surprise for you, Stem was a surprise for you. So I think on a micro level where you're not, you know, an obsessive stan like I am of where I'm digging for every nugget of information possible, it did probably still deliver in the right fashion. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't, uh, I don't know, I just, it was boring. I don't know why. I can't mm. put my finger on it. It was just really boring compared to the other sets in the year. Do you reckon it was just because it was Dominaria again, but didn't quite, it, I guess for me it, it didn't felt really like, push anything. No. no. And I would like to have the perspective of someone who was playing back in the original, like, Invasion days, you know, to see, did it have the same gravity that the old school Phyrexian Invasion had? And I think the answer is going to be a very resounding no, 
mostly because it didn't have a giant novel next to it that kind of really showed you all of the machinations and the inner twistings and workings and, mm. and, and all of the duplicity and all the various almost like to a point of like a hundred different working characters that are all working with this grand story like you can't do that in in a in a five vignette kind of even if it's not vignettes like realistically the amount, the amount of words that you're doing is akin to maybe two three chapters of a regular book like you can't quite give that depth um at the, and still deliver like the pop at the same time you know again you're ticking a lot of boxes just chucking Baird back in there for some for some reason you know I, I don't feel like it it was spread i think it was spread too thin yeah. I think it was spread too thin um, when it really should have been a little bit more focused and it should have been more more slowly delivered instead yeah. of it all just being dropped at once. Um, again, like the, we've said this before, I don't. We, there has been a very poor execution of how the Dominarian invasion is going to the point of where I don't even really care. Apparently, we're still fighting in Dominaria because of fractions there. I'm like, yeah, no, they're there. We had this big, apparently yeah. giant fight on the manor rig that came else? out of yeah. nowhere. You know, like it just doesn't, I don't feel like it was very accurate. Some portrayed. of the best stories in, in brothers war in terms of the, the, like the modern ones, the Teferi ones were the, uh, the ones where they went to like different places, like the, where you saw, uh, Sahili on Kaladesh and all that. Kind of yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't know why Dominaria missed as, as, as such, but it didn't, yeah. it didn't feel like it out of, and out of all of the Phyrexian reveals, I feel like it was also slightly less intriguing than what's Jin doing because he's converting spirits and everything. And then, oh God, Tamiyo's been completed. Yeah. You know, that was that was a big shock. And then, yeah. why is there a breast kit? And then, oh, Tezzeret's turncoating again. I mean, that's not a surprise. Tezzeret so, well, turncoats all the time. That's really indicative, I think, of then, even like in, even in terms of set, set reception and set playability, that kind of massive surprise, oh my god, it was more amazing than we thought, and oh, that was a huge disappointment. None of the sets this year have done what people thought they would do. Mm. Because if you think about, yeah, storyline-wise, it was a huge surprise that Planeswalkers can now be completed, mm. and it was a massive letdown when Shoulder just sort of turns up and does very little. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, okay, it was that beginning bit, we've got such plans for you, she whispers into Khan's mind, and you're like, cool, I guess we'll find out about that next yeah, year. yeah. In Brothers War, we absolutely got some of that. Um, mm. And I will say, good development for Teferi and good yes. development for Khan, yeah. uh, uh, sort of character-wise. Again, Teferi just makes in the since Dominaria 2018, any story with Teferi in it is just way better because of it. Mm. It's, <laughs> it's really way nice. Better. It's nice having these old characters that have this the understanding of the old law, but are also relevant to the new law. If they can. It's much harder to be a two-dimensional character when you've already got three-dimensional kind of... You've already been fleshed out. So it's kind of hard to take that back again, where it's it's, it's difficult to install or instill, like, um, you know, more relevance to someone like Tyvar, who's just shirtless elf dude, you know? So, mm. it, it, again, Teferi is a, is a great example of how to do a long, t- a long, sta- a long, t- a long standing character um, really well and then build the story around them. Um, but, again... In terms of, we haven't really talked about power or power level or, or cards or anything like. In terms of like what we like enjoy playing with, because I don't think that's necessarily relevant to like what we want to do as a no, podcast. No, I think maybe maybe later on, like remind me, we'll talk about like what decks we've built this year. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's my yeah. that's one of my last sections. But um, I think again, for something that should have been much more easily digested, to I think I think something that. We probably did were a little low on in terms of what we kind of cared about in terms of the Brothers War and going back and seeing seeing a set. Um, from the past and our biggest worry and my biggest worry was is he, is there going to be wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff is it are they going to fudge it up uh, is it is are they going to do it justice is it even necessary like why are we going back and seeing the brothers war again yeah 
um, yes to, to all of those things. Oh my god, it was yeah, they nailed it. They, they did do wibbly wobbly tiny stuff, yeah. and it was fine. It was absolutely <laughs> it was, in fine. Fact, it was great. We got like, yeah. we got Urza and Teferi talking on the brink of the Silex explosion at the end of the story yeah. combination, which might be one of my favorite moments of this year yeah. in terms of story. Uh, we got him bouncing to moments of history and then seeing that low to the ground aspect of of the the tragedy and the and the desperate quality of war that we just didn't feel in Dominaria United and it's funny because the, the fights and everything are completely irrelevant because the Ice Age comes a few <laughs> a few hundred years after all of the stories that we see in um in was because it was the side oh I forget now was it the side stories that were back in time uh, no, no that the, was main the main stories, stories were, yeah, yeah, and then the side stories were the ones that are actually like, oh, let's 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 protect we're Urza's in the, tower. We're in the tower. Yeah, 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 exactly. Which is really cool because it was showing that the important thing for the set wasn't what was happening in the in the current day and age, which might be also why they yada yada Tominera United. It was more, oh, let's look at the moments back in time. Let's re-show you one of the best times of magic law, um, and not fudge it up. And they <laughs> they succeeded, yeah. very well. Yeah, absolutely. I. It's funny having a character do time travelly stuff because the, the the I think the temptation is to have him kind of go back in time and bump into Caleb and Krug or you know mm. accidentally knock off a bunch of papers that reveals the invention that you know one of the characters can make that saves the war and it wouldn't have happened unless Defrey went back in time and bloody bloody blah, 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 blah. Mm. whereas they didn't do any of that mm. they had with these low to the ground war stories. Teferi popping up, scaring the shit out of some soldier when he's 20 years old, mm. and then him relating that story to his soldier buddies, like, 50 years later, like, in the next side story. And mm. Do you know what I mean? It had, like, low-consequence consequences, which meant that you could have your cake and eat it too, uh, and not be the, have the focus be Teferi, but just remembering that the reason we're seeing all this shit is because it's kind of so- pseudo through Teferi's eyes. Yeah. Like, not fully, but, like, to a point where it's like, he's our anchor, right? Like, to use the term that they've been using in the story. Mm. He is our anchor there. So it's nice to have him pop up and do something, and also to have it kind of, for what I'm sure will be relevant in March of the Machines slash Aftermath, have it being that he is somewhat affecting the past, or the the temporal anchor that we see Sahili create for him does maybe work a little too well. And, and maybe there'll be some grand re-entry. Yeah. Because that's the thing we haven't said, but we, we we finish with Teferi with him being left in an undisclosed location on a random beach, having been physically... So normally it was spiritually transported. Yeah. Quick, quick side note. It was nice that the Temporal Anchor isn't just one person going, oh, I've got this amazing ability. It took Sahili, Ankaya and Teferi's abilities all to be able to make this thing function. You know, yeah. the MacGuffin wasn't just some easy... Because I find the Silex is a little bit MacGuffin-y because we don't know where it came from. It's cute that we have to fill it with memories of the land. I think yeah. that's a nice line because it feels really almost like eldritch and ethereal in, in, in nature. And we still have no idea what where, where it came from. Um, whereas something like the Anchor could have very easily yada yada been like, oh yeah, Sahili's really good at artifice. Yeah. It's like, no, it took a lot of effort. And she's, she's tweaking Tornos and Urza's designs even like as a baseline exactly. like, she didn't just make it like, yeah. yeah and it felt like there was a it felt like it was a natural culmination of all of these different characters that we've met over the last you know five years of magic that need this and again by the end of it he didn't actually end up doing much of anything no i think he only he only gained a little bit of knowledge and the only knowledge he gained was there isn't a way to activate it necessarily it's it's magical you know and it was also quite nice to find and be around for the moment where urza first realizes that magic is a thing yeah 
which was it's kind of bizarre now we think about it but ma- magic if anything before that was happening in dominaria and, and, and in the thran empire was all just technology and power stones yeah you know, they didn't really understand they didn't have colored mana this is why all the power stones you know tap for uh colorless and can't be used to cast non-artifact spells is because they're not mana it's not actual you know ley line functioning mana which is a really cool side point and again it kind of gave a metaphysical justification to a lot of things that we haven't really had to look at recently we kind of just go yeah here's another set and this is how it makes it work and it kind of actually kind of came back down to like the flavor of of how magic works yeah you know and how the world works um and also <laughs> we got gix um, we did get we, gix. we, we got gix, gix and they, got got gix got got and then again we didn't we didn't focus so much on it that it was super relevant but i think it was also nice to see how old school phyrexia works in turning different sides against each other um Again, I think the Brothers War was a really, really phenomenal throwback set, and it shows that they can do that. Now, where was with, where is with Kamigawa? There aren't many sets that we need to do a, oh, here it is a thousand years later, let's catch it up to the modern magic environment. There are plenty of sets you can do a throwback to, not necessarily needing it to be Alter Fairies going back in time. Because I don't mm. think there are very many cards, if any, that show him back in the old school days. We get, obviously, the Temporal Anchor, we get him throw... Um, like separated from his timeline as a spell but i don't think we see many cards of him being back in no dominaria we just see dominaria then you know we just see it during the brothers war in 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 a uh in a bubble as it were um and it's also really interesting to see like artifact cards like that have prototype that do feel like old school artifacts well yeah this is it this i think this set to kind of tie it back into the year as a whole it, it tops and tails with two sets kamigawa and brothers war that are essentially you could cynically say pandering to like older magic players as in people have been playing like since a lot before going like well magic's taken a really weird turn and kind of trying to you know sweeten the pot with all the techie stuff coming back with like hey look here's the old border stuff and here's Mm. cards that feel like they're old school and hey remember kamigawa you loved kamigawa well this is kamigawa but they're doing it in a way which does feel progressive and new exactly so they really are they are pandering but they're 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 giving people what they want in a creative and sort of um what's the word i'm looking for uh uh integrity when you have integrity um do you know what i mean they're doing they're doing it with an actual like purpose yeah as exactly. opposed to just not going, for the sake of it you're like oh here's a new foiling you apes enjoy like do you yeah, know what exactly. i mean um they're not just throwing things at us and and, force, and forcing us to enjoy it. they're yeah. genuinely almost like going what do the what the, do the players want i also think it's probably easier for a bunch of the designers to do a set like brothers war because they were probably playing during the time of, of antiquities yeah, yeah, and that yeah. kind of thing so they probably have their own perspective it's a lot harder to make a new plane with new characters new places like you don't know at that point what the people are going to respond to um so i mean that's maybe why out of all of the three out of the four sets capenna was a little again kind of washes over me a little is because i have less uh nostalgia for a plane that is new compared to kamigawa which was one of my favorites and dominaria which has been around forever and then brothers war which is sets that i've specifically already seen and mm. played with um so maybe that's as a victim of its own circumstance um i also think it's really cool that the showcases weren't a new treatment on any of the cards within the set it was just a bunch of artifact reprints. And I originally put, it's a bit of a cop-out. But I was like, but also in retrospect, it's something old, uh, some, something new, I'm sorry, something old in, an, in a new frame that we've got that's already um, existing as a reskin, which is almost, almost exactly what the set is anyway. We've already had these things before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're seeing them in an old light rather than giving them a new, a new, a new twist. We're going back and twisting them in an old way, which is kind of interesting. And then also there was Transformers in the set. 
<laughs> there were also just which again I feel like it's a bit of a shame that we're now seeing secret layers kind of drift into yeah, sets proper it is, a bit, it is a bit and I feel like that's one of the things that might be the, it's my only question mark kind of going into the new year is that is this going to be something that continues I mean it was interesting right because they had going talk, we've already mentioned it this episode but they had those Bram Stroker Dracula cards in Crimson Vow mm. as well as just uh they had three. Well, they had three different versions of Edgar Markov, right? And two of them were different Draculas, I mm. think. That's yeah. Um, but at least they were relevant to the set that were that was coming out. Yeah. Because Innistrad is a pastiche on gothic horror, right? Mm. Especially when it comes to the vampires. But to have Transformers being like, well, it's Max, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's, and also the, the uh, style, right? As much as I think the style is great because it does hold true to the old cartoony style, I don't think they look bad. And I've said this before, and I stand by it. Mechanically, they're very interesting. Yeah, it did just kind of feel like the, for the first time they didn't trust the set was going to sell enough, so they were like, "What else can we put in here to make it sell better?" Which is basically what they do with show. They they, they all pretend that oh, the showcases are for the for the for the players. No, they're not. The showcases are there to sell your set. You do these things and these weird treatments and you do these cool lands. Like, I know you did these Kamigawa lands to make me buy way more packs. Uh, it, it didn't work because I bought <laughs> singles. But, you know, I know I know what you're doing, Wizards. And as much as as long as you're doing it right, I'm not going to complain about it. It was really glaringly obvious with the Transformers thing where it just felt like they didn't have the face. So they just needed to inject one more thing because maybe the newer players don't care about this old war that happened. Yeah, maybe. So I don't know. Again, it's that's a little cynical, um, and I think from a marketing point of view, it's probably very on the nose. And I, I think I don't think I'm wrong about it, but I also don't think it necessarily matters as long as that's not the thing that they keep leaning into. Because I think it's obvious now, looking in re- retrospect to Brothers War, that they did do a very very good job of the set, regardless of them trying to put extra bits in. And that's why it kind of felt unnecessary because the set didn't need to have these random Transformers cards in them. You could have just done another super drop, which you're going to do every three months anyway. So. I don't know. I mean, in terms of accessibility, I guess it's better. Um, but, you know, speaking of secret layers, I guess we should probably glance by at the supplemental sets of the year. Sure, yeah. I have no reference as to what any of these were, so you take the lead on this. So, <laughs> Double Masters 2022 oh, yeah. happened this year. Um, I was, and I've put this actually the reprint set we all needed. There are so many cards, because they did a... EDH Rack did a, um, a... The best cards reprinted this year. And I think out of the top ten, I think like six of them were from Double Masters, being things like, you know, Dockside Extortionist, um, Smothering Tithe, those kinds of cards. Like, I think it was a really, really good way to inject a bunch of staples to really help, you know, the the only format that matters, Commander... I'm joking. Um, But, you know, the idea (laughs) is... um, it felt appropriate to spend money on this set. It kind of really, really helped. That oh yeah, this it, is this is the set where all the swords got a reprint with the yeah, full, yeah the full and things art. like devoted druid got um uh, devoted druid got done the uh the one that taps for a color of each permanent type that you you have uh, bloom tender sorry like loads of cards uh food chain got reprinted mm. concordant crossroads got reprinted it was like maybe one of the best reprint sets I think I've, I've I can remember in recent memory and for us it came out just around commander uh, command fest. Birmingham. So when you're sat in like a conference room playing loads of magic and every time you win a little bit of, you know, value or something, you go, oh, I'm going to go and get that fancy pack, you know, and then you happen to open a force of negation. It, for me, it gave me that kind of like, yay, kind of feeling that I used to have when I opened uh, cards, which I don't necessarily, I don't, I didn't really have as much uh, recently because I don't tend to buy packs as much. Um, but it was the first time in a long time that I've kind of felt like... Uh... Oh, no, the, the swords were in the first Old Masters, apologise. This is the one which had the Eldrazi's reprinted. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and again, if you look through the set, as much as you might be like, well, these cards are still really expensive, they were more expensive before. At least now you've got an option to get I mean, a different yeah, I mean, so yeah, I, I, I have a Butcher, Coslet Butcher of Truth, a Ulamog's uh, Ceaseless Infinite Gaia, mm. which both of them from the last uh, Double Masters, and then I play Emrakul, um, The Promised End, and I generally play them, if I play one in a deck, I'll always play three, yeah. and they've been in a couple of decks now. It was actually my Belved deck that I took apart, and they were each like 40 quid each, even for like the Double Masters versions of them. Mm. So when I saw them being reprinted in this one with fancy art, I was like, I'm not a big MTG finance guy, but my cards that are maybe approaching the 50 quid mark, I do kind of like the idea that they're that expensive, just from, oh, I managed to get this, because I pulled the foil Ulamog. Mm. Um, and no, their their prices haven't been touched. <laughs> it's amazing, really. It just makes them a little bit more accessible. Because again, it's that kind of elite... It's, it's a weird middle ground, I feel like, when it comes to, comes to collecting of where I want my cards that, that I'm really happy that I open to maintain their value, but at the same time, I want the ones that I don't have to be more accessible. So it's just a matter of not being too FOMO-y about it, I guess. Yeah. I um, mean, Double Master sets are always fun, especially for new bits of lore and new takes on things. And, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Also, double rares, right? Again, got to get that gimmick in there. <laughs> um, Commander Legends, Battle for Baldur's Gate. <laughs> yeah, that was this year as well. Um, so my, my only thing I said for this is the only set that I've engaged in a limited environment in this year, and it might be one of the most enjoyable draft experiences I was a I've ever experience. had. Yeah. yeah. It was phenomenal. As a set, did we need another D&D set? So, and I don't mean in general, because I, I like the fact that we're touching on these expansive worlds that have all this lore. They don't have to create this lore and kind of make it all fit together. They can just go, let's look at, say, the the realm of Castle Ravenloft, and let's just do a whole set around that, because yeah. that's that's going to appeal to a lot of people. It has a really well-structured story. It has it has relevant lore within, within its own worlds, and you can get behind it fine. Did it need to be a soon after, the last? Did it need to be a Commander's Legends set? And did it need to be a Commander's Legends set? Again, like if these two things have been swapped around, I feel like Double Masters feels way more like a Commander set because of its, its re-injecting reprints in than Command, um, Commander's Legends Battle for Battle's Gate did because it's adding in you know things like initiative and, and other, you know... Backgrounds and stuff. Exactly. Like, I mean, yeah, you, if you it listen... It complicated the format. If you listen to our Adventure in the Forgotten Realms episode uh, from last year, or even maybe the year previous... We said it then, because they'd already announced that they were going to do Baldur's Gate as the next Commander Legends set. Mm. I think in that episode, I went, that's going to be way too much, way too soon. Mm. And everyone agrees. Because <laughs> mm. you've got things like dice rolling and stuff. like. Again, I don't dislike it because it adds a different twist on, on, on a game that you could argue might be getting, I don't want to say the word stagnant, but I mean getting a little bit predictable. Maybe just needs a, no, I have no problem with the D&D stuff being in, in Magic the Gathering. Uh, it's fine. I can't remember what I've said previously, but for now I'm saying it's fine. <laughs> um, it's just, it was a total wasted opportunity. If they're, if they're doing so many commander sets nowadays that the and they're doing them tied to planes that we're already on, the and this is something that I know we've said before, the opportunity to do brand new cards with new flavour that excite people about things we haven't quite yet seen or are not like exposed to straight away. Like the the, the original Tornos card, mm-hmm. or at least the, the, the kind of... Is Tornos... Urza's Apprentice, the first one he was ever in? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The one that doubles activated abilities. Yeah, so that was in the Sahili Rai Planeswalker mm-hmm. commander deck. Because that was the only five decks we were going to get that year. Aminatu was also one of the face cards in that in, in those pre-cons. And we still haven't like gone back to her. She, in fact, she was a reprint, ironically, in this Double Masters thing. Yeah, it looked like she was going to have some relevance of something or other. And it was like, oh no, just another box art with guess who? She Lil- still could. She still could <laughs> with all the timey wimey frex and shit. Yeah, no, absolutely. Still um, no idea where she's from. But like, yeah, well, yeah, quite. So, so, I think I don't have a problem with it being 
D&D, I just think, you know, if you're going to take one of the sets which is exclusively about going, hey, Commander players, and also anyone who likes lore, because Commander is still seen as being like the very Vorthosi um, format, even though that's kind of debatable at this point, here's a bunch of face cards and commanders that could have in, like cool relevance or things you haven't seen or things you've always wanted to see, but now they're just like, oh, but they're all D&D. Yeah, so they're, they're, all, all locked, yeah they're, they're all locked. They're all locked out from not being the characters that you want to see, and it's yeah. less opportunity for them to be printed. Yeah, yeah. yeah so there we go. That's how I feel about that. Yeah. Again, it's like, should should they shouldn't have to make a whole Brothers War set to give you a Gix card when they could have just put him in any number of the Commander products over yeah. any of the number of years we've been asking for him. Yeah. Um, I don't, again, I don't think his point being in Brothers War was story relevant anyway, apart from the fact we at least got to have another five cards with Gix on the artwork. But, you know, whatever. Um, moving on to something that's probably not particularly controversial, uh, Unfinity. I mean, we spoke about this We've, we've spoken about this at, at length. I think this might have been that, that little step of into egregious amounts of product in one year kind of thing, of where when you've got... When you lay it all out together, it's a lot. And Unfinity was something I was originally really, really, really excited about. And then the more we saw of it and the more the half of the set's legal, half of the set isn't legal, the more it kind of muddied and dirtied the general um, uh, reception of it, I think. I mean, the lands are phenomenal. Yeah, but again, right. you've gimmicked something into your set to make it worth buying for some players. I think a lot of the cards that could have been really interesting for the Commander format aren't legal, which makes them really annoying. And this whole, oh, just rely on rule zero. At this point, like, you stop using it as an excuse, as in a crutch, you know? Like, either make the whole set... Um, a rule zero thing or like or, or do the whole set being legal and just flex it into it you're not telling me you can't make funny cards that work uh, properly and you can't tell me that things like stickers and attractions are fair game when some of the other cards which can absolutely work and are grockable oh but the rules don't quite line up it's an unset okay also the stickers ruin some foilings oh god weird. Yeah. Um, what yeah. I will say the one thing I will say in favour of this particular unset <laughs> is I do like the way that they went, we know this is going to be the more sci-fi technological year in our main sets, so the unset is going to be that, but to the nth degree, because mm. it was all silly, um, like, atom punk. Cosmic. Gamers yeah. and aliens and bloopity block yeah. blazer pistols. Like, it was actual proper sci-fi, or at least sci-fi in that kind of bubble uh, bubblegum Americana kind of way. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a really nice way to use unsets. If we ever have a year that, say, the overarching theme is, I don't know, they do, like, proper horror, then to do, like, a really sort of, like, kitschy, like, slasher horror unset would be quite fun. Do you oh, know yeah, what I mean? Nice, do you know what yeah. I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was intentional or not. I can imagine it was because they, they cater their products quite carefully. Even if we don't think they do, they always have a reason. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I just don't, I, there are certain aspects that I think that just fell flat. Space Bellerin. Oh, come on. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? So I guess we're getting kind of, I think that's, that's all of the, I mean, we're, we're not going to talk about each individual uh, commander, uh, commander deck product. I think 40k actually, in, in retrospect, was actually very well handled. It was fine. Yeah, I actually do find a lot of the cards, I look at them, I'm like, these are actually fine to take out and put in other things. I got, I got the Necron deck. It plays quite well. I did get the, the feels of, oh, I remember playing against Tyranid when I was 12 you know when I see some of the Tyranids cards I don't think it was bad I'm, I'm interested interested to see if they can do it with other IPs that don't have such breadth you know because I feel like 40k had a lot that they could they potentially missed out whereas for example I think we're doing Doctor Who next year and I don't know how how widely spaced it's going to feel and how many cards they can make feel that, that, that tie in again it's I don't we'll, this, I'll judge when it happens this is kind of a sinful thing for a, an English person who's into fantasy and sci-fi to say but I couldn't give two flying fucks about Doctor Who yeah. I never have I've tried 
and I've got friends who are like so into it that they get like press tickets for things. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like we we have friends who are like actual almost card carrying super fans of Doctor Who yeah. that's like recognized by the BBC as being people to email. And I'm I'm sorry, Matt. I couldn't give a fuck about Doctor Who. Yeah. Again, it's um, I think that's the problem with IPs with uh, universes beyond is you're just relying that there's a large enough. Uh, group of fans within your fan base mm. or I guess it's also the idea and the biggest predominant thing is that they're trying to get people from other st- forms of entertainment back into into our game and trying to convince them like hey look you might not have tried magic yet because you don't like general fantasy so let's at least give you a Doctor Who version of cards so you can feel like oh actually this is more accessible for me or like Lord of the Rings or whatever and I think it did work with um, Warhammer 40k yeah. and I think at the time if we had probably give it the same amount of distance we probably poo-pooed it in the same fashion that we have now with Doctor Who and it will probably not be as egregious. It's always fine. Everything they've done has always been relatively fine. The only thing that wasn't wasn't ironically the first thing they did which Mm, was um, The the Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Because tonally even at the time we said it wasn't the fact they're trying it it's the fact they picked an and a real world, because it's not forty k is obviously incredibly violent, but it's yes. it's it's a pastiche on the violence. It's I'm not getting into this now, but like it is different for anyone that goes forty k is really violent. Yeah, so so is magic. Yeah, but like but you don't get dead. a bloodied baseball bat as an equipment. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just a bit yeah yeah. So it's and it's all going to be fine. It's all fine. Yeah. So I guess the last two things we probably want to talk about. I think we should talk about now that we're going into the year of Phyrexia and it's actually happening. And we've seen now every we've seen at least the next version of every Praetor before we probably see them all again in the next couple of sets. I feel like the lead up from Caldheim through now to you know so we had Cal we had Caldheim with Vorinclex taking the um, Cosmos Elixir which was a really galling epilogue to um, a story that was very kind of like pew pew I might say pew pew but lots of uh, oh clash it clash of all the realms and all these fights and everything going on and it's like okay cool that's all fine and, and then Essica's bloodied and then, on the yeah, floor yeah exactly and you're like oh god Vorin oh fuck hell Vorinclex alright Vorinclex drinks the Cosmos yeah. Elixir or like runs off with it and you're like oh shit and then when you realise I think the moment for me was when I realised that the Realm Break was going to be a thing and I was like oh that's what they had the Cosmos Elixir for oh my god okay that's really cool yeah the setup from Cal- a lot of the threads from Caldheim I and mean, we've, we've seen um, art for the I think the card's called Resist yes. where Tyvar this is looking at to March and the Sheens is facing off against a Phyrexianized Tybalt yeah. which by the time this podcast comes out everyone should have seen that artwork by now at least uh-huh. online um so the seeds planted in Kaldheim, which I think was another set, which I think even we said it a few minutes ago, is like, yeah, well, you know, it was fine, and it kind of had some setup. It's like, oh no, a lot of those things are now coming are to bear. Really relevant. <laughs> it's like really yeah. cool. That's really good. Yeah, I mean, the only big, the biggest, we've already said this. The biggest thing for Kaldheim was trying to fit ten realms into a set that was also trying to do some background story work as well. Oh, I always forget that it didn't land because in my mind, I'm like, Kaldheim was awesome, and then I remember, well, actually, we didn't think of it so highly mm. because of the amount of realms they had. No. I think again, play wise, I think it worked really well. Anyway. Moving through from Vorinclex then to Jin, I think his uh, interaction with Kamigawa and it being like, again, Phyrexians, Kami, does that work? And it's actually really interesting to see, you know, um, Shiny Pants himself trying to convert um, spirit matter and trying to use that as a means to be able to complete Planeswalkers. And then to actually succeed, I think, was really exciting because that's a big step for Phyrexian. And again, this sat in the background because the mm. big relevance was really like the Wanderer and Kaito and their kind of story and getting and getting the Wanderer back and kind of finding out about her. And then kind of all, all throughout all of this time, you've got Tezzeret being a bit of a douche and there's Ginger Taxius being a bit of a douche. And then before you know it, Tam- 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 Tam-
I think that was really, really clever. Again, we're now seeing, we've got this big build-up of like, well, who knows over the next few sets who's going to be completed. Are we going to see more people being completed? Who knows? And we go to then Nuka Pena. And we have Urabrask, again, just kind of sitting in the back, confirming the fact that he's against um, mum, 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 the real mummy, um, Elishnon. Um, and I like that aspect. It wasn't predominant. Again, it was mm. just in the background. We start to see the effects of what happens to the Praetors when they go between planes. You know, like he was having, essentially he was burnt to a crisp and he had to like rebuild back up again. I think mm. we heard this with Vorinclex of where he was just a pile of mel molten bones that had to kind of assimilate wildlife that came past him well, which is children had to like put themselves back to yeah, have other exactly. people put them back together exactly yeah. had to take the flesh of others to put back i mean again this 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 progression of phyrexia i think is really really cool because it's such a grandiose uh, story arc and it actually has to encompass so many different elements to make it feel like it's the the big threat that it is um, I think, in retrospect, it has done that very, very well because I feel like as much as Shield Red in a bubble and Dominaria United in a bubble didn't have that slow build-up, as another beat in the, in the long build-up from Cow Time, I think it's probably excusable. And again, they build these sets in the grand scope. They don't build them on a micro scale. So maybe from their point of view, they thought the story was a little bit more, you know, well-handled. And it's easy when you only focus on that one set to pull it apart and go, well, actually, you know, the pacing was a bit shit. But then if you put it as a, as a chapter within a book of, of sets, then I feel like leading up to the end of um, Dominaria United, Khan being taken away, the Silex being destroyed, Ajani's a sleeper agent, uh, Jaya's been killed. Like, that's a lot of that's a lot of things when you think about it. And I feel like in the end it did deliver fine enough. Um, and then, you know, again, there was Brothers War as a bit of an epilogue, not having to worry about. I mean, we've technically got another Praetor and Gix within Brothers War, but, you know, not in a present um, relevance. So I think as a whole... I think the builds up. This has been a year of Phyrexia. It's just been a year of Phyrexia coming, mm. um, as I said earlier in the in the in the in the episode, rather than being a year of Phyrexia being here. And then when we get to the end of next year, it would have been. I know we've said this before. Years of Phyrexian influence. Yeah, it just wasn't years of Phyrexian spotlight, which actually makes sense because again, that would have got boring. There's only so much body horror, metal plane things you can do. Yeah, I think the big takeaway from this year, I think. In, in a kind of storyline relevance, because that's kind of where we focused on. Obviously, the artwork this year has been amazing, and, you know, this, we, we could do a whole other podcast about some of the amazing art that's come out, but every year they seem to be getting better. But this has been a big storyline year, and I think what has been proven is that Watsy can do these big storylines that, if on the face of it, is all you take from it, is like, well, they've done two sets of Phyrexians, and then we're going to get another two, and then it's done. Well, that's like four sets, that's barely even a year. I think, no... No, little child. Mm -hmm. <laughs> look at what they've really been doing. Even if you were to just look at the cards, you could see a lot of it. Because they had cards of Vorinclex on, other than Vorinclex's own card in Kaldheim, for yeah. example. They have been building this up. And I think the payoffs are now coming through. And it's all just very exciting. Dominaria United did feel boring. But actually, the story beats that happened in them, I think maybe it was the delivery that was the problem, not the actual things that they've done. Yeah. Like, it will matter. It will make sense. Characters do need to die and setups do need to happen. Like yeah. it's if you're gonna be playing this game for more than six months, you need to just take your time. Mm. We are so affected by this new set, new set, new release, new release. And I know that's a a problem of Watsy's own creation, not of ours, because they keep pushing things. But we just need to all slow down, take things as they come, mm. enjoy them for the time that they're here, because things will pop. Like, next year especially, is looking the first half looks fucking insane. Yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. It's going to be really cool. And I think this year has been a 
a real nice like if if 2021 was them kind of you know like plugging in the amp and then this year is them doing a sound check yeah it's been a good fucking sound check it's been a really good and sound next check. year's gig is going to be wild exactly yeah yeah i think there's two ways to look at the game right there's the the playing of it and then there's the engaging with it and i think that i get where people get it film inundated and feel overwhelmed is because you keep with every set you've got 250 new cards that you've got to try and find especially if you've only been playing for like a couple of years you probably only have like maybe like three or four commander decks you maybe have some a couple of um you know kitchen table standard decks you maybe have a broad deck or whatever and it's really hard for you to to justify um taking in all of the different and where am i going to put it how am i going to play with it there's all these cards that i want to play with and that's you've got all the time in the world to play with these cards right it's all about so that's one thing and i can understand why people get a bit overwhelmed because it's, it's a lot to take in at once and i barely have time I, every set i'll buy a bunch of cards and i get back home after a few months and i realize god i've got all of these cards and nowhere to put yeah, why, yeah. Do, why did i buy all of these you know whereas taking it from a law perspective and then also from a, even from an art perspective and just appreciating um, it for it for, as, a, as a piece of entertainment I feel like that's a very different way than engaging it with the game and I feel like that is something that I don't think you can complain too much about having too much of because half of the sets for the year aren't relevant to the current story and again when you look at it on a grand scheme and see the arcs as they play out um, on, a, on a larger scale I, I don't think they've done a poor job whatsoever I feel no. like the build up's great I feel like each individual set has has add another piece to the puzzle um you know we didn't even like talk about how halo could be used against the fractions there's so many weird little MacGuffins. yeah i was gonna say like the the time uh Teferi's magic is seen through the eyes of ren like mm-hmm. is kind of an interesting thing you're right they are setting up all these little weapons yeah um so yeah. it's how that's all going to play out and how which one which ones are going to be subverted um again i like the fact that they played this ajani sleeper agent thing because then we don't know who else is going to be and it's likely to be because we've got this big smorgasbord avengers assemble moment at the end of the um the side stories of where we have like oh here's nahiri here's luca here's taiva here's is kaito and the wanderer it's like okay, which one of these are actually sleeper agents? Which yeah, one's going to yeah, get competing? Yeah. That's the exciting thing, right? And I, I like the fact that we went into this, we're going now into um, um, March of the Machines and it's half, you've got these 10 walkers that are going to be in the set, half of them are completed, half of them are safe and everyone's gone, fuck, which ones are going to be? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. again, they've kind of ruined it with the leaks a little bit and you can kind of, I think at this point we kind of know everything pretty much almost 99% surety, but it still created yeah. this kind of, ooh, kind I of had, uh, I had the exact same scratch card of predictions as uh, Graham Stark from Loading Ready Run. Nice. So uh, I'm kind of happy with that one. Yeah. Um, all right, last little thing then to talk about, because yes. this is always a good indication of how well a set was received, maybe play-wise, and also what grabs our attention as Vorthos. The new Commander decks that you built, because we yeah. are Commander players. Um, I mean, last year, I always tend to... I don't build one a set, but if I was to look, say, at 2021, I did buy... I did build uh, a Belb deck. Well, that was technically 2020, isn't it, with Commander Legends? Yeah. At the very end. Uh, I built a Savai deck. I did build um, a Tovalar deck, for example. So I did, you know, keep up with some of them. But this year... I had Zia for New Capenna. Mm-hmm. Uh, I built Caleb and Krug, which was Dominaria United. And I, uh, sorry, Brothers War. I built Ivy from Dominaria United. Yeah. Now, Ivy, even when the card got released, that struck me. I don't know why. There's something about Ivy, the way they look, that ma- makes them more Eldraine or even Ravnican. I don't know why. It's being a fairy, you just don't expect fairies on Dominaria, Dominaria just aren't as that's re- not as prevalent. Yeah, so I don't know why I don't know, but and they didn't have any storyline relevance. So I guess that's kind of really indicative of the set that the card that I really picked up on was the exact legendary that has in is nothing. Yeah. There's no story relevance. Um, and although Raf uh, Capuchin Ship's Mage is from Dominaria 2018, 
I I built him exclusively to utilize the reality chip from mm. uh, Neon Kamigawa. Neon Dynasty. Dynasty Kamigawa. Dynasty Neon Genesis. Kamigawa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll never get it right. Um, so I'm counting that as a as a Kamigawa deck. Yeah. So I built like one for one. And it's it's amazing that like because given the time scale and also we've we've probably not played as much this year as I think I've probably played less this year than I have in the last I want to say five years. Yeah, same. Because of just you know general life stuff. Obviously, I was out of the country for for several months as well this year. And even then, we we spoke about it during the time. I spent a lot of my time in Mexico. What I what I, what I like to call was um the season of Mardu of where Ishin got released. And I couldn't figure out how to build him, so I built him three different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, I've now got so I got so angry with him. He's now he's now an Alicia deck, but I think I'm going to come back round to Ishin. Um, I also did a Ginny Fay deck from Nuka Penna. Um, I did an Abdel Adrian deck uh, from Baldur's Gate. Um, I originally wanted it to be mono white, but I ended up using the Candle Keep Sage as a background because essentially it's kind of a rebuild of Brago without having douchey stacks effects in there. Mm. Um, I did Hostile Takeover. I completely remodeled my favorite deck um, with Satoru Omozawa. Um, which was a, a much nicer version of the Steal Your Girl deck. You'll change it again. You've had about four different commanders. For that yeah. Game, so yeah, and then Mirim, I also did. I did a Mirim deck um, because I missed playing dragons and I wanted some clone effects and I dissolved my Simic deck. So, yeah, we're looking at about yeah about five decks, one, yeah. one for each set. I, so. didn't do, I didn't do one for Borders Gate, I suppose, if you count that as a mainline set. Um, yeah. I don't. It's definitely a supplemental set, yeah. so you're fine. But yeah, I mean, clearly... It did. It, the inundation didn't stop us building. Didn't no. stop was it us like playing. Fourteen percent of all playable legends were released in. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It's when you were saying about how Ivy didn't have any story relevance. It's like each. It's it's got to a point now where they keep making um, the, um, what's it called? The signifier of the the draft the draft archetype signifier mm. uncommons legendary creatures. So then every set you're guaranteed to have 10 new legendaries. And for something like Dominaria United, it makes sense. You've got a bunch of characters and how else do you shoehorn them in without, you know, making the red, black one Garner, and, and they still, making the green... They the... still make half of the Weatherlight crew the fucking arena cards. We did get a card for each of them and they did have Storyline, the new Weatherlight crew, but half of them were digital. Yeah. Fuck that. Yeah, I know. That's one thing that really annoys me about Arena is it kind of hides some, ama- some really cool um, effects and some of them, okay, don't, again, don't work. Perpetual doesn't work and blah, 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 blah. But it kind of annoys me that they hide one of the only good Davriel cards behind Arena and same with uh, Teo. There's the, the the crappy, uncommon version from War of the Spark and then there's this kind of better version, mythic version online and you can't play it in paper. Oh, Teo Verada. Mm. You were the only good things to come out of those books. Yeah. Anyway, so, well, that was 2022. 20, exactly. We're only two weeks late. That's fine. That's fine. I feel like I feel like it took that much time to have enough of a perspective on it. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to see what's going to happen this year. Um, I've I've no grandiose predictions. Um, I, we know that Phyrexia is going to win in some fashion. We know the World Breaker is definitely going to, or Realm Breaker, sorry, is definitely going to be creating this multiversal highway i guess the big thing that we need to think about is that wizards have said there's going to be a massive massive change to magic and it's not just going to be story and lore it's going to also have some mechanical relevance and that scares me because mm. i it's whenever they try and do something big and new because again we've had a lot for the last year it's not like they've done anything big and new but they've done a lot of stuff and all of it's worked do you need to do a shake-up to things and if you do what was your justification why did you feel mm. you needed to and how is it going to be delivered well all i'll say to that is and i know there are people that would consider it a fail one of the first times they ever did that was introducing planeswalkers mm. and one of the more modern times they've done that is when they introduced sagas yeah 
So and I guess we'll vehicles, vehicles as well. So I guess if it's one big grand type, then maybe I mean some 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 people are predicting it's going to be planes. They're going to find a way to do like plane cards and try and make them kind of like almost like old school world enchantments. I think that the smart thing is that they will probably make planeswalkers no longer uh, a planeswalker type. I think they'll be creature planeswalkers. And I think they'll probably be more low to the ground. And I think having a spark will just matter less. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. It's, it's, it's intriguing and scary at the same time. And to be fair, we won't know until we get to the end of the Phyrexian arc um, what that's going to be anyway. Um, so for now, I'm just excited to get back to new, to new Phyrexia. I guess it's no longer new Phyrexia. It's just Phyrexia again. <laughs> yeah. Although, I don't know. There are some signifiers that it might not be totally Phyrexian. Yeah, well, exactly. We know that the Mirrors are still around. I mean, again, this is, it's going to be really cool going back to... Because we originally wanted to do a, an episode of Phyrexia then and now uh, before we had any information about what Phyrexia now looks like. Um, unfortunately, again, the leaks have kind of scuppered that a little bit and we've seen a, a fair amount of the set, or at least I have. So I have got a fair idea of how it looks now. But the, again, the story comes out today. I think we'll probably do the, the next episode, depending on how quick the stories come out. We might even end up doing a... A story breakdown fairly quick compared to our normal turnaround for it because it might just be something we really need to talk about yeah um and again i think it's a very exciting um it'll be a very exciting combination there's a lot of moving pieces uh, they're gonna handle it better than more of the spark they have to there's no way you can handle it worse um so i'm excited to see how they handle all of these characters kind of coming together what the subversions are who are sleeper agents who aren't sleeper agents you know all of that kind of thing i think it's going to be really cool again with the bits that we've had from the last year um, have been phenomenal and if they can deliver and on that final flourish for it i think i think it'll be a great year for magic agreed all right let us know on our twitter page at mt flavoring what you think of 2022 and what do you think heading into year 2023 i know we've already had people chatting to us about it uh let us know what you think of us doing in-person records again because this is the way it's going to be i think mm-hmm. <laughs> um and yeah hit us up on our email uh mt at gmail.com my personal twitter is at andy manface nathan's yours is at the fox enemy get yourself an arrow boat they're awesome <laughs> yeah it's cozy as fuck it is cozy as fuck i need to feed the fire a little bit it was going quite nicely when we recorded and now it's slightly to die down so i'll have to feed it um yeah other than that thank you so much for listening this has been magic the flavoring we'll see you soon